not about seeing that each receives their fair share. That's amazing. Because we live in a time when we consider a lot of equity. Equity is the most important. I want everything to be equitable. No matter whether you win or you lose the baseball game, everybody gets ice cream. That's the world we want to live in. It's not the world we live in, and that's not God. us to remain strong in the places where he's put us. Amen? So because of that, we need to make sure that we are prepared. So before we study this morning, I'd just like to ask everyone to bow their heads with me and pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has been preserved through the ages. No book, no book in binding has received as much scrutiny as this book. So Lord, for those who have been faithful throughout the generations to make sure that this is preserved by your providence and brought to us this morning, we give you thanks. And we ask that as we turn to its pages once more, you would speak to our hearts. Father, if anything is said that should be forgotten, I pray that you would help that to happen swiftly. And um, the things that need to be remembered, Lord, I pray you would sear into our minds and into our hearts and help us to be effective in the place you've put us. So we give you thanks and honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. See, we tend to believe, and we've been taught throughout our lives, that the Bible is this nice and, and neat message, and that the gospel is this just nice, neat package, like a little ball of medicine, and you just take it, and there it is, but it's not. It's messy. It's messy because it deals with death and it deals with life and it deals with sin and it deals with, um, with our hearts and it deals with our soul and our mind and our strength. It deals with us where we are. It deals with all of our preconceived notions about who we should be and who we've become throughout experience. The gospel is not a nice, neat, clean message. Uh, a lot of people believe that uh, the primary use of the gospel is to bring peace well, to bring peace, it has to bring truth. And we all know that with truth comes conflict. So uh, the gospel message is extremely powerful. We're going to talk about that this morning. But we all need to understand, as we found in our own lives, that it's never pretty. Now, it can be presented as pretty, but uh, God doesn't hide the sinfulness of humanity. That's why we have stories like anyone out of the book of Judges, uh, most of the ones out of Kings and Chronicles, uh, we have the story of Esther. Uh, we have stories from Genesis. The entire Bible, God does not mask sinful humanity and say, there's my people, perfect and clean. He shows us as we truly are. We ought to all be thankful for that. We really should. And we ought to all make sure that as we're reading through the Scripture, we realize these are real people with a real God carrying out His real method of redemption for fallen humanity. So as we read this morning, we're going to be in chapter 1 of Romans, verses 8 through 17. So it says this, 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may know now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. goes on to say, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Point number one, gospel relationships are mutually encouraging. Let's look for just one second. The gospel is supposed to infiltrate every area of your life. We said that last week. And I'm going to say that probably every week. And um, it will be annoying to some, and to others it will be burned into our minds, and we will walk around thinking about this, and that's the point. The gospel is not meant to be the message that leads you to your knees so you pray a prayer and then go back on to living how you were living. The gospel is supposed to infiltrate every area of my life. How I spend my money, how I treat my children, how I treat my work relationships, how I treat my spouse. It's supposed to infiltrate every single area of your life, from what you watch on television to what you put in your mouth. Everything is supposed to be affected by the gospel message. So, it's not just what you do. And it's not just what you do outside this place. It includes also your relationships with other believers. And this is vitally important. When you are meeting with other believers, there is supposed to be a mutual encouragement. Let's look once again at those verses real quick. I'm just going to read uh, verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Look what comes next. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What's Paul looking for? Paul was looking to impart some spiritual gift and strengthen their faith. So this is what he wants to do. He wants to go there and he wants to give them something. But not only does he expect to go there and to give them something, what else? And to receive encouragement from them. So it's mutual. Paul doesn't just want to go and just be the preacher. Paul wants to go and also be the pupil. Paul wants to also go and be the recipient. It's amazing. Too many believers, too many believers come to have fellowship so they can be encouraged. 
I go to church so I can feel good. I go to church so I can be built up. I really don't care much about anything else. And this is a real shame. Because as the gospel points out to us, when the gospel is lived out, it brings about mutual encouragement. This is a great thing for us to be thinking about this morning. So what's the danger in this? Is there a danger in this? There certainly is. The danger in this idea of mutual encouragement is that those Christians that are owed something. Well, I've been going to church for an awful many years. I've been going to church for a long time. I have an investment there. Surely I'm owed more than that person. Surely this mutual agreement of mutual encouragement has not paid to me what I am owed. It's a real danger, and we see a lot of that in the church today, the church abroad. The gospel is not about seeing that each receives their fair share. The gospel is not about seeing that each receives their fair share. That's amazing. Because we live in a time when we consider a lot of equity. Equity is the most... I want everything to be equitable. No matter whether you win or you lose the baseball game, everybody gets ice cream. That's the world we want to live in. It's not the world we live in, and that's not gospel. The gospel is not about seeing that each receives their fair share. I want everyone to notice as we're reading these verses... What's Paul's first concern? Paul's first concern was to strengthen others. And secondly, to receive their encouragement. The first thing on Paul's mind is to encourage others. And secondly, to receive encouragement. So I have two questions I want to ask everyone this morning. And I I meant for these to be, they're intentionally difficult. Question number one. Are you putting yourself in a position to bless other believers in your interactions with them? Are you doing like Paul? Are you coming and wanting to encourage others? Are you wanting in your interactions with other believers to bless them? The biblical idea, the biblical word bless means to elevate, to lift up. So when we bless the Lord, we are elevating Him. We are lifting up His holy name among the saints. We should be throughout the week blessing God with our lives and elevating Him in each thing we say, do, and think. But we also should be about elevating and blessing and lifting up other people. That's what Paul's intentions were in going to Rome. He wanted to go there and he wanted to strengthen them. He wanted to bless them. So first question, are you putting yourself in a position to bless others in your interactions with them? Second question, are you ready? Are you putting yourself in a position, here we go, to be blessed by others in your interactions with them? I think this is tougher. I think this is tougher. Uh, the reason is because it is very, very difficult for some people to receive uh, the grace, to receive the love, to receive the pats on the back. It's very, very difficult for some to be able to receive these things. So the question is, are you putting yourself in a position to be blessed by other believers? Now notice, this isn't a, a first thing. Like my goal isn't to come to, to worship service and to be blessed by everyone. First goal should be on every one of our plates to come to worship service and to bless everyone. 
Second, we ought to be in a position where we can be blessed by other believers. The only way that that is possible, the only way it can happen, is if you put yourself in a position for that to happen. So that means not crossing your arms or, or, or running out. That means actually spending physical time with people so you can be in a position to receive blessings because of their gifts. So, thinking about all of those things, point being, main point being, gospel relationships are mutually encouraging. Secondly, the gospel is power. The gospel is power. Why do we, uh, why do we say that? Well, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is, is power. And there's no reason for shame of the gospel. None. There's, there's just, uh, there's no reason for it. Why? Why don't we have to be ashamed of the gospel? Because the gospel doesn't depend on us. And that's the sad state of the church today. We've been taught for many years that your job and my job is to make sure that we are, are discipling and make sure that, uh, that we are going out and planting seeds, and we are supposed to be doing that, but when that doesn't happen and that person we've been praying for doesn't come to Christ, we think that we failed somehow. Oh, I wish I would have done something more. I wish I would have been able to do something else. Well, that's putting us in the position of God, and it's wrong. It's saying that we are more strength, more power in this whole situation than God is. But the gospel doesn't depend on you and I. It doesn't. The gospel is not the power of you and I to save people. Another misnomer that we have. We believe that somehow... The gospel is the power of myself to go out and make sure that people are saved. And that's not it at all. What's the passage say? It says it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God. And this really should encourage us. It should encourage us in our faith. Why should it encourage us? Because of what the passage says. What's it say? It says, because the gospel is the power of of God for salvation. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, I don't have to be ashamed. When I go out and I speak the truth to people, I don't have to be ashamed of that because it's not my power. It's not my message. It's not my strength. I can stand up here today and boldly read the Bible to everyone because it's not mine. This is what God wants. It's what God says. When you go and you have a gospel interaction with someone, when you're bringing gospel truth into a situation, you don't have to be ashamed. Because it's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation. So because of that, you and I can be blessed and we can be very, very bold in the gospel. Very bold. There is no reason for shame. None. We can be bold with the gospel. We can go out and we can share this message and we don't have to worry about the consequences. Which is amazing. Uh, what we've kind of been tucked into in this, in this corner, in this crevice, 
um, is that what we need to do is we need to go out, we need to sit people down, and we need to start preaching to them. That's not the case in the Scriptures. It's not the case in the Scriptures. We're going out and we're sharing the message, but we need to, like Paul, find a way in. Right? So when Paul was with the Jews, he was a Jew. When he was with the Greeks, he was a Greek. You know, when, when, when Paul found a way to, to get into the system and be able to have these conversations... What you and I really need to do is do like the apostles did, and we need to make people stand on what they believe. When you say that you believe that you're good enough, well, let's make you stand on that a little bit. So does that mean that I stand up with someone and I say, you're not good enough? No. No. I ask questions like, well, what is good? People say things to me like, well, I haven't killed anyone. Well, there are a lot of people who have done worse than killing that are no good. Amen? Think about all the people that have hurt people and have not killed them and, and they did not spare them at all. I have not killed someone, so that makes me a good person. Well, I don't cuss. Well, there are a lot of people that don't cuss that do worse things than cussing and they are definitely not good people. We are narrowing down and making people stand on their presuppositions. It's so easy to do. And it doesn't have to be angry. It doesn't have to be confusing. You just ask people questions. People are like, why do you think that this is wrong? Why do you think that capital punishment is right or wrong? And you can just ask questions, gospel questions. We know what the gospel says, what the canon of scripture says about these things. So all we need to do is ask questions to push people off of our platform and back out onto theirs. We can be bold about this. We can be very bold. People ask questions about morality. Why does God say this sort of relationship is better? Why do you believe this sort of relationship is better than this one? We can take the Bible into conversations even if we're asked not to. I had a conversation about a year and a half ago, and it was about abortion. And the gentleman told me that uh, he wanted me to tell him, in short, why abortion was wrong and I wasn't allowed to use the Bible. How are you supposed to do that when this is really what we're supposed to be living and breathing so uh, what I did was I didn't quote verses at him, but I brought the gospel truth in there. That man changed his mind, not because of me, because of gospel truth, because the gospel gives us truth that we can stand on. And it doesn't mean we sit down and say, well, because you're a, because you're a fool, because you believe this way. No, we just ask leading questions and we don't have to be ashamed we can be bold with the gospel in every one of our communications, every one of our interactions with people. We can be bold about it. Why? Because of the power. Because of the power of the gospel. Whenever I want to notice, uh, just in closing up on this point, that the power of the gospel is not isolated to a particular people. It's for everyone who believes. So this is another problem that we have. Well, I need a person that's already been prepped to hear this. No, that's not it at all. God is prepping the person to hear this. God is prepping the person to receive this. It, the power of the gospel is not isolated to a particular people. The gospel tells us here it's for everyone who believes. And thirdly, and I believe the most important point out of all of this, the gospel reveals God's righteousness. It reveals God's righteousness. Where do I get that from? Again, I'm just going to read the, the yellow from verse 17 here. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Many people, most people that you know, they're opposed to this idea. 
Well, that's ridiculous. All you need to do is believe. All you need to do is have faith. Most people are opposed to this. Why? Why? Because of the desire to attain righteousness some other way. Well, I have my ideas, you have your ideas. Who's to say one is better than another? After all, each person is entitled to their own opinion. Conversation I had a couple weeks ago, I was bringing the gospel into. It's probably about two weeks ago. It says, each person is entitled to their own opinion. I said, wow, that's very equitable of you. What about cannibals? All of a sudden, he does not believe that they are entitled to their opinion. He has a problem with that. How do they do it? By creating a different standard. We're seeing a lot of this today. And I've talked about this quite a bit, and you all hear this all the time. It's everywhere. We're all creating these new standards. Why are we doing this? Why? Because people do not like a standard apart from themselves. People do not like a standard apart from themselves. In your notes that I passed out I'm inside the bulletin, um, I said I was going to do that throughout this year, and I'm, that's my goal is to make sure that they're there for the people that are blessed by that, for the people that are helped by that. So the, the question as we're looking at this that we need to answer is, why? Why do people want a standard apart from themselves? Well, I added some scriptures in there. I only added the references. I'm going to look at them with everyone this morning. And I just ask that as you head home and you're spending some time throughout the week going through scripture, that you look through these verses once more, perhaps in a different translation, perhaps in the one that you have by your bedside or um, by your breakfast uh, table. And uh, look through these verses yourself and uh, try to kind of gain some context as to what's being said here. I'm just going to read the verses. So, uh, in the book of Isaiah, we're looking at chapter 5, verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. If you all remember, in the book of Judges, we are told there were no kings in that day. Everyone did what was right, where? In their own eyes. In their own eyes. I point this out simply to say this. Today, there is an awful lot of talk about my truth, your truth, how I feel about particular issues. I'll do what I like, you do what you like, and never the two shall twine. This is a real problem because it does not exist. You cannot live on an island. Every idea has a consequence. Every idea has a ripple effect. So uh, when I do what's right in my own eyes, that will inevitably have a positive or negative effect on those who are around me. When you do what's right in your own eyes, that will negatively or positively have an effect on those around you. No matter what position God has put you in, in your life, you will negatively or positively affect people when we act within our own eyes. Now we'd like to think that all of those interactions are good, but God says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. He goes on in Proverbs 30 and verse 12 to say this, there are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. 
They're clean in their own eyes, but they're not washed of their filth. Proverbs 21 and verse 2, this is great. Every man, excuse me, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. I think what I'm doing is right. I feel like it's right. It's the right thing to do. When we act on our feelings or what's going on inside of our head, we can run into an awful lot of problems. Well, you know, I can justify that. I said that to her because she said this to me. God doesn't deal with the situation. God deals with the heart. Says here, God weighs the heart. We may be right in our own eyes in a situation, but God is weighing the intentions of our hearts. Psalm 36, 2, this is a great verse, a great verse for memorizing. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. There's people that kind of puff themselves up when they sin, when they mess up, when they do the wrong thing. Kind of like, well, yeah, but I've also given my tithe at church, made sure that I showed up, made sure I was kind to some people that were rude to me. We kind of try to cover our sin with all the good things that we do. And it's the things that are in our own eyes. As people do not like a standard apart from themselves. People do not like a standard apart from themselves. We already talked about why. Why do so many people reject the gospel? Because people are denying God's existence, they're denying His power, and they're acting like unreasoning animals, is what the Scripture tells us. They're going by instinct alone because they have no truth to live on. They abandon God, they abandon truth, they act on instinct alone. People want to follow, or people do not want to follow a standard apart from themselves. So what do they want to follow? What does Disney tell us to follow? They want to follow their hearts for a standard. Notice how we're taught this even from when we're little kids in these movies. Children and grandchildren, friends that you know are learning these truths. Follow your heart. You can have whatever your heart desires. Follow your heart. I'm sure I'm not, I'm not alone in this place in saying I follow my heart a lot and it's led to some pretty messed up situations. Uh, I follow my heart, usually it leads me to trouble. So I need to learn something that Scripture tells me about my heart in Jeremiah 17, 9. Something we don't typically want to hear, but the heart is deceitful. Your heart will lie to you. It will lie to you. It's not just deceitful. Scripture tells us it's deceitful above all things. Do you realize that nothing will lie to you more than your heart? Isn't that sad? Nothing will lie to you more than your heart. It's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Certainly not I. And a lot of people who have followed their hearts and found a lot of trouble there. And I'm among those. Now, we need something better to stand on than just our feelings. So the truth about this is the demands of faith are too great for many people. What demands? Because God wants me to change my whole life? No, that's not the demand. The demand of faith is that you have faith. The demand of faith is that you believe. The demand of faith is that your hope is in something outside of yourself. It is in God. It is in Christ. It is in this beautiful gospel message. 
My faith is in the fact that I don't have to pay for my sin anymore because he has. And that demand is too great for many. Say, well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean by that? I mean exactly what I said last week and the week before that, and I'm going to state it again this morning. These people that think that they need to do righteous acts to be made right with God. Not so. Matthew 7, verse 20 says this, And on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And right there, if we stopped right there, isn't that us sometimes? Oh, Lord, I... I was nice to them, even though they were mean to me. Lord, uh, I, I bit my tongue when I really wanted to let loose. Uh, Lord, I know I spent this money foolishly, uh, but look at weeks before that. Uh, I, I was fine. I, I did a good job. And what's the verses go on to say? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Cold shoulder from Jesus. These are people of whom the demands of faith are too great. Verse goes on to say, excuse me, he says right in that verse, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. They didn't care to know, they didn't care to believe, they cared to do. Christ says, get out of my presence. Their trust was in themselves. And God's righteousness is revealed in the demand for faith. God wants you and I to believe. Does He want you to go push some kid out of the way of a moving car? Uh, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Is that going to save you? No. God wants you to believe. Should you empty your bank account and go and pay off someone else's debt? Again, kind thing to do. Will not save you. Even the ultimate sacrifice, giving your life for another, will not save you. What's he demand? Faith. Faith. For many people, even many Christians, we prefer to make fig leaves into coverings for our shame. So we're ashamed of things we've done. We're ashamed of, of who we've become. We're ashamed of what we said. So now we want to do this thing where I'm going to cover this up so God can't see it. For many, we prefer righteousness by our own standard. And this is not a conversation that I go hunting down, but it's a conversation that I have all the time. All the time. And it's certainly not the gospel. The conversation goes like this. Well, do you really think that the sentence that was handed to this man is enough? So why would you ask me? Well, he wasn't a good person. So what do you mean by good person? Well, look at what he did. May I look at what we've done? You saying that you've done worse than him? Yeah. You trying to tell me I've done worse than him? Here you go. Here's where you got to be bold. This kid looks at you and says, you tell me I did worse than him? What are you going to say? Yeah. Where do you come up with that? From Scripture. Yeah, I don't want to hear any of that nonsense. Fine. How many times have you cheated on your wife with a lustful heart? Ooh. 
You don't have to go there. You ever told a lie? Yeah, once. How many lies? Oh boy, oh boy. How many today? How many in this conversation? The gospel is not about doing things to make us right with God. We need to push people out on that platform. Here's the platform of faith where we stand. We're saying, this is what God says. And people keep trying to tiptoe onto our platform. They're like, I, I can partially stand there and partially. No, you get off of mine, you stand on your own. That's our goal. That's our goal. Our goal is to get them to stand on what they believe. And when they realize that will not hold water, they have to put their foot somewhere. We want them to come onto our platform, but we don't want them to tiptoe onto our platform. We want them to be with us. Many prefer righteousness by their own standard. This is not the gospel. Look at what it says here in this passage. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. What's this mean for you and I? It means if you would be righteous, it is only by faith. This is tough. We're overextended, we're overworked, we spread ourselves out too thin. I know that I'm not just talking about myself here. I know a lot of you doing this and doing that. We spread ourselves out. And we don't take time to do the things that we need to do. Spend time in the places we need to spend. Righteousness does not come by reprioritizing our schedule to do good things. It comes from our faith. What's given to us by our faith. For in it, in the gospel message, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This week, I challenge everyone. Spend two, three minutes reading a passage. I don't care where you start. Start anywhere. Pick up your Bible, open it up. Take a look. What does God want done with those words? Them to be read, them to be prayed about, and them to be tossed aside? No, he wants us to put our faith in him. When God says, this is going to work, I trust this is going to work. This is how the batteries get charged, I trust this is how the batteries get charged. This is how you want me to interact with people, that's how I'm going to interact with people. That is faith. That is faith. Let's pray.